Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914-1918war.com. In this episode we'll be continuing our reading of Bruce Bairn's father's Bullets and Billets. We're up to chapter 24. As always, uh, consider signing up to the substack at 1914-1918.substack.com for more articles and things. Uh, It's completely free and uh, you won't miss out on anything if you do sign up. And that way you get uh, any articles I write delivered to your inbox. And now uh, let's get on with the episode. Everything you hold with files is in peace. Chapter 24 That Ration Fatigue Sketches in Request Balio Baths and Lunatics How to Conduct a War They seemed to me long, dark, dismal days, those days spent in the Douve trenches, longer, darker, and more dismal than the Plug Street ones. Night after night I crossed the dreary mudflat, passed the same old wretched farms, and went on with the same old trench routine. We all considered the trenches a pretty rotten outfit, but everyone was prepared to accept far rottener things than that. There was never the least sign of flagging determination in any man there, and I'm sure you could say the same for the whole front. And really, some jobs on some nights wanted a lot of beating for undesirability. Take the ration party's job, for instance. Think of the rottenest, wettest, windiest winter's night you can remember, and add to this the bleak, muddy, war-torn plain with its ruined farms and shell-torn lonely road, Then think of men having to leave the trenches at dusk, going back about a mile and a half and bringing sundry large and heavy boxes up to the trenches, pausing now and again for a rest and ignoring the intermittent crackling of rifle fire in the darkness and the sharp thud of bullets hitting the mud all around you. Think of that as your portion each night and every night. When you finish this job, the rest you get consists of coiling yourself up in a damp dugout. Night after night, week after week, month after month, this job is done by thousands. As one sits in a brightly illuminated, comfortable, warm theatre, having just come from a cosy and luxurious restaurant, think about some poor devil halfway along those corduroy boards, struggling with a crate of biscuits, the ration dump behind, the trenches on in front. When he has finished, he will step down into the muddy slush of a trench, and take his place with the rest, who, if need be, will go on doing that job for another ten years without thinking of an alternative. The Germans made a vast mistake when they thought they had gauged the English temperament. We went in and out of those trenches many times. During those intervals of out, I began to draw pictures more and more. It had become known that I drew these trench pictures, not only in our battalion, but in several others, and at various headquarters I got requests for four or five drawings at a time. About three weeks after I had returned from leave, 
I had to move my bulletin quarters. I went to a farm called Le Petit Monk. I don't know how it's really spelt, but that's what the name sounded like. Here I lived with the officers of A Company, and a jolly pleasant crew they were. We shared a mess together, and had one big room and one small room between us. There were six of us altogether. The captain had the little room and the bed in it, whilst we all slept round the table on the floor in the big room. Here in the daytime, when I was not out with the machine gun sections, I drew several pictures. The brigadier general of our brigade took a particular fancy to one which he got from me. The divisional headquarters had half a dozen, whilst I did two sets of four each for two officers in the regiment. Sometimes we would go for walks around the country, and occasionally made an excursion as far as Belial, about five miles away. Belial had one special attraction for us. There were some wonderfully good baths there. The fact that they were situated in the lunatic asylum rather added to their interest. The first time I went there, one of the subalterns in A Company was my companion. We didn't particularly want to walk all the way, so we decided to get down onto the high road as soon as we could and try and get a lift in a car. With great luck, we managed to stop a fairly empty car and got a lift. It was occupied by a couple of French soldiers who willingly rolled us along into Balliol. Once there, we walked through the town and out to the asylum close by. I expect by now the lunatics have been called up under the group system, but in those days they were there and pulled faces at us as we walked up the wide gravel drive to the grand portals of the building. They do make nice asylums over there. This was a sort of Chatsworth or Blenheim to look at. Inside it was fitted up in very great style, long carpeted corridors opening out into sort of domed winter gardens, something like the snake house at the zoo. We came at length to a particularly lofty domed hall from which opened several large bathrooms. Splendid places. A row of large white enamelled baths along one wall, cork mats on the floor and one enormous central water supply, hot and cold, which you diverted to whichever bath you chose by means of a long flexible rubber pipe. Soap, sponges, towels, aglib. You can imagine what this palatial water grotto meant to us when at other times our best bath was of saucepan capacity, taken on the cold stone floor of a farm room. We lay and boiled the trenches out of our systems in that palatial asylum. Glorious. Lying back in a long white enamel bath, in a warm, foggy atmosphere of steam, watching one's toes floating in front, when this was over and we had been grimaced off the premises by the inmates at the windows, we went back into Balliol and made for the Fosson d'Or, an old hotel that stands in the square. Here we had a civilised meal. Tablecloth, knives, forks, spoons, waited on, all that sort of thing. You could have quite a good dinner here if you liked. A curious thought occurred to me then, and it occurs again to me now I write it down. Here it is. If the authorities gave one permission, one could have rooms at the Fosson d'Or and go to the war daily. It would be quite possible to, say, have an early dinner, table d'hôte with, say, a half bottle of salmon and gluckstein, get into one's car and go to the trenches, 
spend the night sitting in a small damp hole in the ground or glaring over the parapet, and after stand two in the morning, go back in the car in time for breakfast. Of course, if there was an attack, the car would have to wait, that's all. And of course, you would come to an understanding with the hotel management that the terms were for meals taken in the hotel, and that if you had to remain in the trenches, the terms must be reduced accordingly. A curious war this, you can be at a table d'hote, dinner, a music hall entertainment afterwards, and within half an hour be enveloped in the most uncomfortable, soul-destroying trench ever known. I said you can be. I wish I could say you always are. The last time I was at Balliol, not many months ago, I heard that we could no longer have baths at the asylum. I don't know why. I think someone told me why, but I can't remember. Whether it was the baths had been shelled, or whether the lunatics objected, it is impossible for me to say. But there's the fact, anyway. Napu baths at Balliol. And on that unhappy note, leaving a somewhat more grimy Bruce Burns father behind, uh, we'll wrap it up for today. That's the end of chapter 24. Next episode will be chapter 25. Thanks for listening. Bye.